Hello, my name is Veronica Kassova. I live in Edinburgh and I just graduated with a Master's in Psychology of Mental Health. Marian recommended me the Clinical Psychologist Collective when I was networking on LinkedIn and I must say I love it. Um, it is one of a kind. It's like a window into the lives of people on the path of becoming a psychologist. The stories are unique, honest and filled with a kind of intangible wisdom only personal storytelling can uncover. A common thread in the stories I valued most was to be compassionate not only with others, but with myself too. Also, not fixating on becoming a psychologist, but enjoying life, growth, and the final results will come as a byproduct. Marianne, thank you for taking the time to collate all the stories. The book is a true gem, and I think every aspiring psychologist should have a copy on their shelf. Thank you. If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. With this podcast at your side, you'll be on your way to being qualified. It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast with Dr. Marianne Trent. Hi, welcome along to the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. I am Dr. Marianne Trent and I'm a qualified clinical psychologist. Now, as you might well be aware, the road to becoming a qualified psychologist does not always run smoothly. And of course, with the vast number of people who are wanting to join the profession and become qualified, and the small amount of jobs available, it must mean that it doesn't work out for everybody. And whilst that might be a painful consideration or a realisation to make, I thought it was a useful angle that we needed to cover within the podcast. So that is exactly what today's episode is going to be about. It's a guest interview episode with someone who started out on the route to professional psychology qualification, but then later um, had a different course and has had a different outcome. Now, this episode covers different bits and pieces that you might not use in your clinical practice or that you might not have heard of as well. So listen with an open mind and I will look forward to catching up with you on the other side. Hi, I would like to welcome Fiona Maguire to the podcast. Fiona is a coach, a speaker and an author. Hi, Fiona. (laughs) Hi, Maureen. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. Really well. Enjoying a little bit of sunshine today, which is nice after all of the rain. How are you? Yeah, the same thing. The sun has come out and it's it just lifts things up, doesn't it, really? It's fantastic. Yeah. So I know I'm like uh, <laughs> becoming an old hand here talking about LinkedIn, but we did meet on LinkedIn, didn't we? We did. <laughs> I love it. Do you love LinkedIn? Yeah, yeah, I'm getting to it. I, I ignored it for years, but but now, yeah, I'm, I'm really getting into it. I love engaging with new people and finding out what they're doing and, you know, how we can work together, collaborate or help each other in any way. It's fantastic. 
Yeah, and actually, I think it's a really good place to be um, if you are an aspiring psychologist, I think, anyway, because you can connect with loads of people that are doing the job that you want to do. But you're not an aspiring psychologist anymore. You are a coach, a speaker and an author. Could you tell us a little bit about what you do currently, Fiona? Yeah, so I'm an intuitive transformational coach. So I I use all my psychological training, but I... I work on all levels of people. So my main superpower, if you like, is, is my intuition. And I've really honed my intuition. So I can access people's unconscious mind. I can access what's going on inside of them. And I ask them questions because if they own it, then, you know, that's when we can really do the work. Where if I say, oh, this is what I see, they don't particularly own it and it, it doesn't have as much awe-inspiring you know, it's not on a, a deep insight that they get inside of themselves. So I work with their intuition. I work with their unconscious mind, their energy, their conscious mind, their emotions, their thinking, all of them. And my aim is to obviously solve the problem they, they come to me for, but also for them to get a, a deeper understanding of who they really are. Great. Thank you. And obviously, a lot of our listeners uh, might have spiritual or kind of holistic views and beliefs themselves. But when we try to put that into practice, sort of in an NHS setting, that's difficult because because of the evidence base. Is there an evidence base for for the way that you work? Yeah, so I'm not I'm not people don't have to do anything spiritual with me. They don't have to go there if, if they don't want to. But what, what I actually do now is I talk about something that's called the three principles and it was also coined the inside out perspective, which Michael Neal called it that. And there's a lot of evidence for that. And that's basically the psychological theory of perception, how perception really works and therefore how the mind really works. And then when, when you realize that you don't live in reality, you live in your own thought created reality which is your own perception of everything. And psychology agrees with that. You know, wouldn't you agree that psychology agrees with that? It's like a social construction, isn't it? And metacognitions and thoughts about thoughts about thoughts and all of that jazz. So I absolutely agree with that angle. Yeah, so as soon as people really, this has been my experience, my own personal experience and the experience of working with clients. As soon as people realise that, they're not their thinking and they don't have to be so identified with their thinking. They, they then paradoxically start <clears throat> wondering and thinking, well, who am I and what, what am I? And if I'm not experiencing the reality, then how, how do I experience the reality? And when they really open up to that question, if, if I'm not experiencing the reality, does that explain why, um, you know, I sometimes have an argument with my spouse and it's like we're living in completely different worlds. Like I don't understand why he, she is so upset about something and, you know, they're, they're thinking the same thing and it's almost like we're talking from different universes. It's like that saying, isn't it? There's three versions of, of, an, of an eventuality. There's your version, their version and the truth and it's, yeah, it's, it's what perception and what angle you're looking at that from and also you know what comes before and what what trauma might have been around for one or both parties as to what might be a truly mindful reaction to what's going on now and what might have happened or be a ripple from things that have happened years ago 
Yeah, absolutely. And and also, you know, for, for me, when I first really got that, you know, actually I'm, I'm just creating lots of stories in my head. That That's the language I put on it. These are just stories. And, yes, some of them to my brain seem valid because this happened in my past. So of course I'm going to act like this or of course I'm going to act like that. Or, and then I was like, hold on, but am I really present? Am I here? Am I really present inside of myself knowing what's going on inside of me? And am I really present with, with the other person? And if you're in your head too busy with your own story, then you can't be present. You can't really listen. You can't really hear. And a lot of people are, are just too busy thinking about what they're going to say next to actually hear what the person said to them. I hear you. And that's a really important consideration for many of our audience as well who might be developing or striving for a career as a therapist. Um, have you got any tips for ways that we can improve that ability to stay present and not be focused on, you know, is it the listening to hear rather than the listening to speak? Yeah, one of one of the things that was said to me, and I've got one of my own, but one of the things that, that was said to me once and it was part of um, a bigger course that I was on. And Michael Neal said it. He said, listen as if you're listening to music. And there was something in that that just dropped for me. So maybe that doesn't drop for other people. So my advice would be to center yourself, to ground, to become into yourself and to know what's going on for, for you. But to be centered in that, to not lost in your thinking or your emotions or your feelings, but to be centered and to ground is one of the things I give away for free on my website, like how to ground. Great. And I guess I was thinking about what about the bits of music that really resonate with you and you want to join in or you want to sing and you want to stand up and dance? Um, are those the bits where you get the natural interaction that's kind of spontaneous rather than pre-thought? That's really interesting. Isn't that amazing? You've seen it differently. I love the way you've seen it, but you've seen it differently. For me, it was like when I'm listening to music, I'm there, I'm an open vessel. I'm just with it and I'm letting it flow through me. And then whatever may happen, you know, maybe my response to that. So I love what you said, maybe my response to that is that I want to dance or is that I want to join in or I just want to be with it or be closer to it. Um, so if you think of, of the music as a person, and I, I really love what you just said, then, then that's it. That's true connection, isn't it? That you want to be more with them. You want to dance with them. You want to hear more of what they've got to say, or you just want to be in the flow of their company. That's beautiful connections. Oh, lovely. Although my husband, who is a musician, would say, <laughs> just listen to the music. Like, they've done a good job, you know? <laughs> there are many ways to look at the same consideration. And I understand that you um, originally were on a path to um, to psychology. Is that right? Yeah, after my degree, I, I'd done a, the first single honours degree um, at the University of Luton, it was called now. It's now called the University of Bedfordshire and looks a lot different. Um I, I wanted to be a psychologist and my, my second job as an assistant psychologist, stroke group worker, was in what was called a psychiatric unit for adolescents, so that now called young people. 
and um, that that was great. But my first thing that I noticed was, okay, so I know all these theories. I know what schizophrenia is. I know what bulimia is. I know what anorexia is, uh, multiple personality disorder, as they called it then. You know, I, I, I know all of these things, now bipolar. But these kids, like those three kids over there, they're all schizophrenic, but they're all completely different. So how does the theory of psychology go with that? So I had questions right from the beginning, and it, and it was fascinating. Um, but, you know, for me, and I don't even remember how long it was. I need to look at my CV that I worked there full time. And then I had a car crash leaving the hospital one day. Lucky enough, on the driveway of the hospital, I hit snow and went into a tree. And on the impact of, you know, hitting the tree, my, my inner wisdom just said, you have to leave. And I just intuitively knew that I had to leave that job um, because it, I was just, I was burning out. And I, and I know why I was burning out. Could you guide us through that a little bit, what that felt like at the time and how that was showing up for you in your work and personal life, if that's okay? Yeah, so, like, with, of course, we had protocols. We had ways we, we were meant to work and everything else. And <clears throat> it was definitely around, um, I think it was around Christmas time, um, this realisation hit. It was definitely snowing, <laughs> you know, and uh, I just noticed that what we just talked about, you know, I, I was a I was a Buddhist and um, at the time, and I really believed in being present with the young people, and that meant to me just really listening, really being with them, and that had the the benefit of them just really calming down. Like these were psychiatrically ill children; they were not in a hospital in a unit for nothing. They, they had, you know, severe mental illnesses, you know, psychiatric mental illnesses. And, um, and people acknowledged that I worked differently and, and in the whole they, they were happy with that because I was definitely getting results. And, um, and it was great that I was able to be with the kids at all different times of day, sometimes when the psychologist wasn't there, so I seen them at all different times. Um, but what I... What I knew at the time is that I felt what the children were feeling and I had real empathy with them, but to a degree that it didn't seem like my peers had. And um, I, I could, I either had a really good idea of what they were feeling or I literally felt it physically in my body, what they were feeling. And I was, I was 23 or something like that. I was young. And it was just it was just too much, you know, knowing their trauma and knowing their circumstances and knowing that they've been abused in all different types of ways and then feeling what they feel and feeling their response to their parents and their parents' response to them. And it, it was just too too much. And I'd been somebody that, that had felt other people's emotions all of my life and I was kind of okay with that. But in that intense environment, it it was hard and I didn't have the, the, the self-given acknowledgement that I'm a highly sensitive person back then. It was just the way I'd always been and the way I always was. And I, I wouldn't change that. But what I have done 
what I have learned is that I'm not always picking up on energy. I'm not always picking up on the way somebody feels and what's going on for them internally, you know, and, and externally. And that has made a huge difference to my life. And that's what I bring to a lot of my clients because I work with a lot of sensitive people and empaths. Um, yeah, it is. It's a big job we do, isn't it? And I think we're more likely to be able to hopefully tune in to others, you know, resonance and their frequency and their emotions and more likely to get it and get why it matters and to be able to kind of piece together some of their story and almost go with it but that's not without its negatives as well if you're doing that with all of the people that you're working with because you know it's knowing how and when to to disconnect from that that it's not your stuff that it's that it's someone else's and the way I do it I guess is to think about doing the best possible job I can do at that moment um and the bits I've struggled with is when systems or finances mean that I can't do what I deem to be the best for that person. So it might be that there's a really long waiting list. And I found that personally really, really difficult. So actually, I thought that, yeah, this would be the ideal pathway, you know, gold standard in terms of waiting and in terms of what that person needs and what is going to work for them or have a, a best chance of working for them. But when I can't do that because of my hands being tied, that's when I find that it leads me further to disillusionment and burnout. Yeah, I, I agree with you there about the system. I, I'd like to, to pick up on it. It's not that I was overthinking it or it's not that I was you know, taking it home in the way that that other people take their work home. You know, I'm not saying I, I didn't do that. Um, there was one occasion where, where I did. Uh, this child was in such a ridiculous situation, in my opinion, and the way that he was being treated. And, you know, and the way the system was, was built up. And that's the morning I crashed my car. They, they decided that they couldn't help this child. He was going to be put in um, a locked psychiatric unit. That's what happened back then. And I was, honestly, I was just fumingly angry. I was just, I was like, you cannot do this. I'm his key worker. I know more about this child than everyone else. And for you to go behind my back and do this is like, and they, they were like, but we're not going behind your back. This is, this has been scheduled and, and it's not personal, and and I get that it, I get that it wasn't personal, but um, I had such a relationship with this child, and I I believe that that we could really change him, but but they they had decided amongst the doctors that they was going to go down a different route, but being being a highly sensitive person, you the the emotions and the empathy are much stronger you feel things much deeper so and the difference a highly sensitive person doesn't feel it in their body they they just know what that person's feeling and then they they may then feel what they feel about that in their they will definitely feel what they feel about that in their body um and it's just a level of sensitivity that 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 works beautifully in these environments but it also makes it really difficult unless you can turn it off. And as also as an empath, 
you know, so, you know, someone would, one of the kids would come in and, and kick off and, and I, I would feel what they was feeling. I'd feel the rage or the upset or whatever it was. And there'd also be part of me and, and this was, I'd be like, I get that. I get that you're doing that right now. And in fact, I think that's good for you. Just, just let him carry on. Let him do it. There's nothing here that he can harm himself with. Just, just let him blow it out. And they'd be like, no, 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 let's sedate him. And I'd be like, well, no, you know. And when, when, when I had the authority and I, I could stop that sedation, I did. And, um, you know, and most of the time it, it worked really beautifully. The kid blew off steam, did what they did. You know, of course, if they was going to hurt themselves or hurt someone else, I would step in. I'd literally physically step in. And I'm quite a small person and most of the adolescents are much bigger than me. But they they trusted me, and I had a rapport with them that they I would get them to look in my eyes, and they would just instantly calm down. So that that was all beautiful, but it, I wasn't allowed to work the way that I saw and I wanted. So, like you, I I agree with you, and and that that was difficult. And yeah, I was a little arrogant. I had all these ideas. I just finished uni and. And everything else, but I was very passionate and caring about the kids, and and that's what made me burn out. Yeah, I think you know absolutely. If we're not helping people to experience their full range of emotions, which includes the hypo aroused bits as well as the hypo aroused bits, we're not necessarily equipping people with the skills to be able to handle it next time. Um, if you, you know, if you're being sedated, then you go from hyper aroused to then, you know, waking up and wondering what's going on. But you've, you've missed that middle bit of of where you calm down. Um, and that I think that is potentially difficult. And I think there's an interesting, you know, interesting food for thought there in letting people safely, you know, process and manage their thoughts, feelings and emotions. Could you tell us a little bit about how you stepped away from your psychology career? Yeah, hitting the tree was really a wake-up call. <laughs> um, so ironically, I had, you know, six weeks ago, because of, because of the, the high emotion and high energy of the job, you know, it, it was a brilliant hospital I worked in and they were running a new system. That's why I chose this hospital to work in. And th there was a lot of things that worked really well in it. I, I'd, I'd like to say that. And it was a massive education for me being there, working there. Um, but just before I hit the tree six weeks ago, I had taken an active holiday because I knew that I couldn't, like, you know, I needed to do something. I needed time out of work. I needed to do something. So I went on what I thought was a beginner's course in sports massage, but the lady had put me on an intermediate course because of my qualifications, anatomy and physiology, and, and she, she just said, look, if you don't like it, you can go home and you can do the other course because it was a residential course. I was like, okay. So there I was, 10 days, and I was a natural, and I passed with flying colours. So I was now an unexpectedly qualified um, sports massage therapist. And when I hit the tree and I had various injuries, um, my, I used my own knowledge and got, got most of me better. You know, I had whiplash. Um, so that's what I treated. What I didn't know is I'd also um, really severely hurt my left hip. But that didn't, 
that didn't show up physically until a month later. Um, and so, you know, I started getting treatment for, for my hip a month later. And the guy was technically excellent, but his bedside manner was dreadful. <laughs> and that was private. It wasn't through the NHS. And I just thought, I could do this. So I started doing it part time with, with just people around me. And uh, within a year, I had enough client base to, to stop my job and, and to do that full time. And that's what I did. So I just dropped being a psychologist. But ironically, at least 50% of the people that came to me wanted to come to me for mental problems. And I had to keep saying, but I'm no longer a psychologist. You know, let's, you know, is there anything in school you want? And so eventually I just gave in and I, I started treating both. And that's how I created my own therapy. Lovely. Thank you for sharing that with us. Have you got any tips or advice for if people are listening to this and they're starting to notice that that itch that might need scratching, that, that a mental health career in professional psychology might not be for them anymore? Yeah, I think for me what I needed to do was just look at, well, what, what do I love? What do I spend my time thinking about? You know, when I'm not at work, what, what thoughts go through my head? What is it that I really love about my work? What is it I love about the studies that I've done? What books am I reading? What films am I watching? What conversations am I having? And out of all of that, I was like, yeah, I, I really like sports. I really, oh, I'd always done sport. And I thought, I you know, I really like sports. So, um, yeah, I, I would be interested in doing that. And I'm still really helping the person. Because what I noticed in the psychiatric units was all of the children also had physical problems. All of them had. You know, they might have been small, they might have been bigger. And then, um, yeah, I pretty quickly realized that the majority of people that came to see me for massage, they also had, like, maybe it was stress, maybe it was depression, or maybe it was something much bigger, like trauma and things like that. Um, so I became more and more interested in, in the link between the physical bo body and the physical problems and the mental problems, the psychological problems. And that led me to studying craniosacral therapy because that brings the two of them together. So, yeah, so to answer your question, in case it's been lost, is to really look at what it is you love and what excites and interests you. And, and where does that lead you to? Great. And would you say that you are fulfilled and happy and pleased in your in your sphere of work currently? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, when I start every session with a name and at the end of the session, you know, I, I ask them about that. And I might even poke it a little bit to make sure that it's cleared. And it just amazes me the journey the session goes on. And then to, to see the person's face when they realize something and particularly when they let go of it and I help them let go of even more of it, it's just wonderful. I just, I just love it. So professional psychology is not the only way to make you happy. And that might be <laughs> a really interesting and useful point for people if they are starting to feel that this is not 
it's not for me. It's not making me happy. You know, I feel like I'm burning out. There, there must be another way. There, there might well be. You know, this isn't for everybody. Have you got um, a take-home message uh, for people um, who might be listening today, Fiona? To be who they really are, to ground inside of themselves, to connect to who, who they really are, and to explore that and dare to lift that, dare to be who they really are and, and show that and be inspired by what they're inspired by to to go with their intuition because I don't believe that anybody can work as a psychologist and not intuitively feel something about their clients, their patients, whatever they call them. And that might not add up when they think about the theory or might not add up to what they are expected to do. But if they feel it inside of themselves and they know it, dare to go with that, dare to go with their own insights and see where that gets their client. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, you should feel like you're being yourself, like you're being authentic and that you're vibrant in your work. You know, I think absolutely that's the case. And I, I believe that about myself and my work currently for, for sure. Where's the best place for people to connect with you or learn more about you if they want to, Fiona? On LinkedIn, and my name's Fiona Maguire. Fiona is F-I-O-N-A, and Maguire's M-A-G-U-I-R-E. And also my website is the same, www.fionamaguire.com, without any spaces. And I, I give away, there's free resources, the grounding that I've mentioned, um, how to work with your energy, which is a book, and yeah, people get a lot of benefit out of them. And I'm always happy to chat with somebody on LinkedIn. Brilliant. Thank you so much. I'll pop all your details in the show notes as well, but not everyone accesses the show notes. So it's always useful to have said that out loud as well. Thank you so much for your time today, Fiona, and for, for helping us answer the question, what happens if you decide psychology is not for you? Um, so I know that you still work in the psychology sphere, but professional psychology, because that's a lot of our audience. So thank you so much for your time. And so generously sharing um, your rich insights with us. Thank you very much. Really good to speak with you. Thank you so much for my guest, Fiona Maguire, for coming along and talking with us. I hope you found that to be a useful listen. Like I said, if you want to connect with Fiona, do check the details in my show notes um, and that will help put you in touch. If you are still wanting to pursue professional psychology and you're ready for the next step, then do please check out um, the Aspiring Psychologist Collective book, the Clinical Psychologist Collective book, and do consider joining the Aspiring Psychologist membership. We're a really lovely group that is supportive, that helps you towards your goals. And I help you with anything that you think, oh, I'm a bit worried about that. Then I will find an expert to talk to us about it to help you guide you through that process. And that's certainly um, the case with something we've got happening in the membership. Um, today, as I record this, we are covering um, selection tests, um, logical and deductive reasoning tests. So if on replay you're listening to this, you're thinking, oh, I'd like to learn more about that, then you might well find the membership useful for that too. 
I would love your reviews, your audio testimonials of the podcast and of the books too. It's really simple to do that. Um, if you head to my website, www.goodthinkingpsychology.co.uk forward slash podcast, then just click on the audio testimonial option. And with a few clicks and a couple of minutes, you will have done that. Um, thank you so much for your time. Do come and connect with me on socials. I'm, doc I'm Dr. Marianne Trent in all places um, that you might hope to find me. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to connecting with you and helping you in your journey as an aspiring psychologist. Thank you so much for being part of my world. Take care. If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. With this podcast at your side, you'll be on your way to being qualified. It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast with Dr. Marianne Trent. I'm Jo and I work as an assistant practitioner in a CAM service in Lancashire. I bought and read Marianne's book, The Clinical Psychologist Collective, to accompany me while completing the clinical psychology training application. It proved to be really good company. I found it sparked ideas of how to build experience and skills, but more than that, it offered the chance to get lost in people's stories. It provided a timely reminder not to get so caught up in an end goal, and to value and enjoy each job we fulfil along the way. Because the work we do now is important and matters to those we sit alongside, as well as ourselves. It also gave the reassurance that there are eclectic routes into clinical psychology, which is important for me as someone who's had a meandering journey and not a typical route to the profession. I wholeheartedly recommend the book for both personal and professional reasons. Be prepared to put evening tasks on hold for a while though, because once you've started reading, it's tough to put it down.